Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Dr. Boris Orlock of Happy Horror Coffee Break, old-time horror radio show! <laughs> and you're listening to a fourth-hand production. You have found your way once again to the Beyond Terrestrial Podcast. I'm Dan. With me, as always, is my conspiracy buddy, Lee. And Lee, today we are doing something new. So we are going to dispense with our intros and bring in our two special guests, David Flora from Blurry Photos. Say hi, Dave. Hey, what's going on? And Dr. Chris Cogswell of the Mad Scientist Podcast. Chris? Hey, how you doing, guys? So we brought in a couple of ringers, Lee, because today we are going to pick up right where we left off and keep discussing Skinwalker Ranch. Lee, tell the listeners a little backstory uh, about how we came up with this idea for a friendly debate. Well, this started, we were watching a, um, a movie called Hunt for the Skinwalker, or a documentary called Hunt for the Skinwalker, and in that documentary, Dan and I both went in, in semi two different uh, two different ways on this, uh, whether or not it could be um, something interdimensional, um, as in somehow it, that space is a place where um, the dimensions inter- or different worlds intertwine and allow different things to pass back and forth between. Or on dad's or Dan, dad, you're my dad now, Dan. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because we're going to win this debate. <laughs> and on Dan's side of the camp, more in line with government technology or government experimentation. Um, so we had to bring in a couple people that had some expertise in both areas. Uh, Mr. Dave, Dave is uh, in currently creating a movie or in the process of trying to get funds to create a movie. Um, I'm going to let Dave explain that. Dave, tell us more about that movie that you're creating and how it kind of relates to uh, the Skinwalker Ranch and the Thin Place kind of theory. Sure. Um, Well, thanks for having me on, you guys. And uh, right now I'm trying to get funding on Kickstarter for a project that Derek Hayes over at Monsters Among Us podcast and I are putting together called um, Shadows in the Desert, High Strangeness in the Borrego Triangle. And the uh, Borrego Triangle is something you probably haven't heard of uh, yet because Derek and I came up with it. 
<laughs> so we're trying to get this uh, out there to the masses uh, because this is an area, as you said, um, there are different hotspots, it seems like, uh, around the world. Uh, and if you think of something like the Bermuda Triangle, uh, the Bridgewater Triangle, Point Pleasant, Wisconsin, places like that where it just seems like there's a high concentration of weird things going on. That's what uh, we have found in Southern California in Anza Borrego State Park, which is a huge state park. And there is everything from UFO sightings uh, to cryptids, hairy hominids, dogmen, that, that sort of stuff, uh, to ghost stories, a lot from the Old West when the stage line ran through there. And uh, it's, it's one of those places that there's enough things going on that Derek and I were like, we've got to check this out, see if there's a reason for this, see what's going on, if there's any commonalities. So, uh, as you were saying earlier, the this thin spot is if there is a uh, quote unquote veil out there, something that is maybe where the two dimensions are rubbing up against each other, or you know, if you subscribe to uh, the physics stuff, maybe a multi-dimensional uh, place where the bubbles are touching something like that and um that's what we're going to look at and yeah that's what uh i'm i'll be happy to be discussing with lee uh tonight i think that's awesome david um now for my side we have chris cogswell from the mad scientist podcast and we'll be looking into some more human explanations chris can you uh introduce yourself and tell us a little about what you do Sure, yeah. So my name is uh, Dr. Chris Cogswell. So got my PhD in chemical engineering. Uh, my show focuses on the history and philosophy of science and pseudoscience and looking particularly at those times where um, those kind of transitional periods or those areas where, you know, the public believes something that maybe doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense scientifically, but um, maybe there's still some kind of questionable explanations out there or maybe there's questions or there's just an interesting and kind of funny story so um that's kind of what our show really focuses on you know um in terms of skinwalker so we did a large series on the owner of skinwalker ranch or the former owner of skinwalker ranch i should say and um his kind of long and storied weird history um in these ufo fields robert bigelow and bigelow aerospace um and so, you know, from my perspective or kind of from my side of things, I'm certainly on the of the opinion that this is more something that is, you know, to me, the Skinwalker Ranch story and just the general story of like UFO studies in the modern day has been a story of a very long, very successful um, con, basically, played on the public and played on the U.S. government in some cases. And Skinwalker is a great example of it being played on the U.S. government, which is seems crazy but you believe something hard enough i guess you could make it happen i don't know man magic or whatever yeah. right hand path magic <laughs> who the hell knows <laughs> totally wild Ridiculous. totally wild yeah we we talked about some of the contracts that uh mr bigelow has received to do research out there you know you're talking about millions of dollars in uh public money so you, pretty nuts you, but dan you I'm, call him mr I'm bigelow so but i thought we established last episode that um it's quite possibly you should be calling him uncle bigelow God, I hope so. Um, <laughs> my wife, my wife's maiden name is Bigelow, so if he can throw oh any of those dollars at me, yeah, any of those dollars at me, I'm all for it. Um, but 
Lee, I'm so confident that our side is on solid ground. Uh, why don't you and David uh, kick it off? Okay. So, David, um, I guess uh, I'm just going to ask you a few questions. I'm a little bit uh, off put here just for here we go. Okay. <laughs> I'll follow your so, lead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no pressure. It's like a like a bad dance. I know. It's like I've, I've got a Jeopardy champion and a doctor against uh, me and David. Um, <laughs> by the end of this, there'll be nothing left but the blood. That's right. We're just going to come after each other. Leave them alone. <laughs> so in these thin spots, do you feel that this is multiple different anomalies, or do you feel that maybe it's the same anomaly that could be being interpreted differently by the human brain? Oh, that's, that is a good question. Um, because, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll just go ahead and answer that instead of wiffle waffle. Um, (laughs) I would find it hard to believe that it's the same thing that different, that, that different people see differently, uh, just because the range of what they say it is, is so huge. Uh, you've got, let's say, UFOs or lights or some kind of, you know, uh, unidentified uh, thing, um, a craft of some sort, let's say. Light, and, and again, lights on it, things like that, uh, compared to one of these, like you guys were talking about, a dogman-type thing clawing its way out. And, like, I don't know how one person could see... Uh, the same thing as another person and come up with dogman versus uh, a UFO. Is that, is that kind of what you're, what you're asking for? That's kind of what I was thinking as well. And that's, that kind of plays in exactly my thought process of the, the range on what's being said here is so, so off the wall. Um, some of it seems a little crazy. Like mm-hmm. for example, um, if you were saying that it was just government experimental crafts, where is the giant or where's the, you know the dire wolf that um, is indestructible. How how does that play into the the government um, doing an experiment on people? Then again, hmm. it could be just messing with their minds. So, well, there's. I mean, yeah, there's there's always that aspect uh, to it. Of course, I would think that's that's two very different uh, branches of uh, even even in the. Um, what do you call it? The experimental branches of, of let's say the military or DARPA um, it, to have animal testing and dire wolves being created, or maybe even like Jurassic parked back into reality. And oh, that's so scary. And Sorry. having just military craft that's, you know, reverse engineered or however they get it, who cares at this point, but like to have uh, a biological, side and then to have a mechanical side to it i'm not saying it's not possible um but they usually like to compartmentalize that stuff and focus and if you've got all this stuff going on i to me it strains credibility a little bit with that to say it's from the same source i should say me as well me as well so so we've kind of established that there's multiple uh, thin places around the world. Uh, for example, we've established that uh, that uh, the Bermuda Triangle, the Borrego Triangle, um, the um, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, or, or was it Wisconsin? West Virginia. 
West Virginia, just clarifying. <laughs> Sorry, Point Pleasant and other places like that. Um, I, I feel like there's got to be more um, spaces that could be either like a thin place or a place where it's just a paranormal hotspot. Um, places that have haven't even been brought up yet. Oh yeah, that it, plays it's, into it's, your. Yeah, it's everywhere. Um, you, you think of uh, uh, just off the top of your head, just to to you know play devil's advocate for this. Uh, Stonehenge is out there, or it uh, go back like Tepe is probably one that they would say. Although there's not a lot of uh, activity coming out of there, it's just a, a weird spot that kind of it, it, a lot of roads lead lead to that area. Um, and then you've got uh, Tiwan, uh, Tiwanaku and down there by Lake Titicaca and things like that in South America. Uh, there, there are a ton of these places uh, in the world. So, yeah, it's not just one or two here and there. And, um, and we're getting lucky, you know, stumbling on this stuff. Or America's got a mon- monopoly or something like that. Well, we've got a monopoly on everything, don't we? No, that's sorry. That's completely different. <laughs> Uh, number one. So, We're number one. <laughs> We're number one. USA. USA. Yes. USA. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. What a day. What a we gotta day. have. We gotta have something to cheer for now that the Olympics have been postponed. Yeah, well, exactly. There we go. God. So, how do you feel? Like you have some expertise now in the Borrego Triangle since you kind of invented it, right? Uh, <laughs> sure. So. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> or at least we're part of inventing it. <laughs> I'm work, working on it, putting it, putting it together, putting together that expertise. <laughs> so, um, do you feel that there are similarities between the Borrego Triangle and Skinwalker Ranch, or? Um, are there differences? Um, I know that you're exp- like you haven't done a lot of research on Skinwalker Ranch, but I know you've heard about it. True. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, that is true. I um, I think that Borrego down there is much bigger, uh, so it's a much more spread out area, and there are a lot. I would say there's there may be uh, more more of a variety of sightings there than at skinwalker and skinwalker's got a lot going on um from what i understand but it also is concentrated on a ranch there in utah right it's not how how big is it do you do you remember i don't remember off the top of my head dan was it something like 900 acres yeah and and then they're talking about the entire utah um uh basin being uh a hot spot not just the ranch so yeah, see, but, right, but so, mostly for UFO sightings. See, so but I I would argue actually. So I would actually argue that Skinwalker Ranch or the Bermuda Triangle or any of these areas, and I don't know about the Borrego Triangle. We're gonna have to uh, gonna have to fund the uh, yeah, the GoFundMe the here wait, to find wait. out. Hint, 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 hint. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, a lot of these areas, it's not that they have more sightings; they just have better publicity, like. Skinwalker Ranch practically has its own hype man in George Knapp. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, they have their own like yeah. reporter who reports only crazy, weird things that happen on that stupid ranch. You know, he never, <laughs> he doesn't report. Oh, scientists sat with thumbs up butt for three weeks. You know what I mean? He doesn't report those <laughs> periods where nothing happens, right? Sure. Um, and that's mostly it's mostly nothing happening. <laughs> the same thing with like the Bermuda Triangle. Even if you look at the actual number of reported missing planes and things that are in the Bermuda Triangle, terrifyingly enough, it's just on par with the rest of the world's oceans. <laughs> um, 
You know what I mean? Like, stuff goes missing all the time. Those areas are huge, and we don't know anything about the ocean, practically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at the end of... Like, we lost an airplane in a river outside of Philadelphia. We still haven't found that airplane. It just disappeared. Still, we you lost know? a battleship uh, that way, too, Chris. Yeah, we lose stuff All we lose stuff in the water all the damn time. The old USS you know I mean? Eldridge like, just disappeared. That's like... <laughs> Uh, but but seriously though like we're um you know we're not really all that good at looking at statistics on kind of the outside basis and understanding what comes from them or understanding how to how to look at them in a sensible kind of way and so skinwalker ranch is like the perfect example of this and a lot of those places that are um thin places quote unquote are perfect that way right you know one thing i would wonder is if we looked at the actual correlation I bet that most of those thin places actually have a higher correlation with the number of healing crystal shops than they do with the number of sightings. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, and uh, population is always a factor. Um, So actually, if if we we looked at when when we were doing this kind of stuff, we were seriously looking at this. We looked at the statistics in sightings and even in reported sightings of UFOs. The only correlation that fits at all is with U.S. population size. It's like a 98% R-squared value. Um, Everything else is just complete garbage. Like, there appear to be no hotspots as far as we can tell. Um, But again, I would argue that there probably is a very high correlation to, like, number of women in shawls versus UFO sightings, you know? Well, well, Um, I think if we're lucky, the Borrego Triangle can have its own hype, man. Oh, dude. Well, so that's the that's the crazy thing, though, right? Is that in a lot of these cases, it's very. So let me let me say this too. It's very very rare that we end up coming upon one of these areas that does have a long history of its own for weird sightings like this and everything else, which the Borrego uh, Triangle appears to have. Um, and you know, the without it having this kind of muddling in with a paradocumentary TV series from the History Channel or whatever, right? <laughs> so the fact the fact that, like, it's Dave and Derek doing this, I think is really exciting, actually, at least for me, because, you know, um, if you can't trust, uh, if you can't trust a man with a mustache, who can you trust? That's true. It is <laughs> a magnificent mustache. <laughs> and that explains that, too. That explains that. <laughs> Okay, Dave, back to uh, my, my line of questioning for you. I've really only got about two more questions for you. So in your like, research, you know, your armchair research, as we do here on our podcasts, mm-hmm. um, can you, have you noticed a, a correlation um, between different phenomena? Like, like we've been discussing about these paranormal hotspots. Does it seem like the different types of phenomenon happen or at least are reported in the same vein so like if, if if we're talking about uh poltergeist uh like for example with the bell witch there was poltergeist there was minor cryptid activity there was um precognition um or with skinwalker ranch you've got the ufos you've got the um cryptids and all that stuff does that happen regularly like we we i, I think i'm just w- circling the drain here on the same question aren't i <laughs> no i i get you well i, I i'll I'll approach that in a couple of different angles for you. There's uh, one of the 
reasons I think that a, a place becomes a hotspot is when it has a variety of different phenomena going on. If if you've got something that's just uh, UFOs, then you're probably going to have something like Marfa down in Texas, right? Like that's that's really well known. It's got a, a, a ton of UFOs or things that people say they see uh, at night in the sky, but it really takes some wild stuff all together at once for uh, a place to really get that creepy, good, uh, thin veil location. Um, and again, we're talking about uh, Point Pleasant uh, is one of the one of the craziest ones because you've got Mothman, you've got Men in Black, you've got UFOs. Um, and then uh, as we're trying to find out with the Borrego Triangle, you know, like I said, there's cryptids, UFOs, uh, paranormal activity, things like that. So, I think that part of that, uh, part of it is that they um, coalesce with different, different phenomena, and that really kind of shoots it up the list on things you pay attention to. Um, and then the other, uh, the other angle for this, uh, a commonality, I guess, that has. Well, I don't know if I. <laughs> something I have been observing lately um is what what would connect all these places is there anything uh that causes a bunch of stuff to happen in one spot and there's a there's a couple of things that have started to uh creep up as being similar um in different spots one of them is um the underground cave systems and the folks uh, in the Hellier series touched on it just briefly, uh, but they're talking about the cave system that's Mammoth Cave in, in the, that area, and that actually runs up through New England, and it hits Point Pleasant. It hits the Bridgewater Triangle. There's a lot of weird stuff, Brown Mountain down in there, things like that. Uh, are there caves in Southern California? I don't know. I'm going to go check it out. Uh, I'm not sure about Utah either. I don't know if you guys have heard if there's any cave systems or anything up there around uh, Skinwalker Ranch. But this is one of the things that I have started trying to take notice of. Uh, are there cave systems that are, are connected with all these spots? So that's that's one thing. Another thing is um, quartz, uh, for some reason, keeps coming up in, in some of these. But again, Hellier touched on this uh, in, in the, their second season. Uh, with Somerset being apparently sitting on top of a bunch of quartz, uh, Borrego is pretty rich in quartz activity down in there. Um, quartz activity, like the like the rocks are jumping around. It's it sits on a bunch of <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of quartz veins and things. Um, I I haven't. I this is new uh, to me. Just the the quartz aspect of it. So it's one of those things I want to start keeping the radar uh you know humming for it 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 should pop up more if it if there's something to it so i don't know if there's quartz around desk and walker ranch or not i know uh chris and i actually just talked about the falcon lake incident and uh quartz was around that area uh of course that's just a couple of ufos and a a dude that said he got uh, burned but didn't actually burn much anyway um (laughs) or fell on a grill or fell on a grill (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um, uh, quartz and and the underground tunnels. I mean, it all it all actually sounds like it comes down to what is under the ground. What is what is part of the earth that that might be connecting these things? 
So well, those are a couple. You mentioned, yo, yo guys, I don't, I Dave, you know I love you, right? He's <laughs> <laughs> about to okay. shit on us. <laughs> so I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure you know I love you. I love all of you guys. Your shows are great. Okay. I want you guys to guess what percentage of the Earth's crust is made up of quartz. Ooh. 48%. <laughs> no, it's not that crazy. <laughs> no, uh, that felt Oh, fun. I don't know. Probably, probably something solid, though. I would guess uh, uh, at least a good 10, right? It varies from 12 to 20%. <laughs> Ooh. And, the, and the other component of the Earth's crust feldspar might as well just be quartz as well. It's the same. It's the same. It's aluminum silicate, right? So that's to say quartz is just sand mm-hmm. that's been hit under pressure and temperature for a, while, a long time. And most of the Earth's and crust. And psionic most, energy. Most, right. Hence the psionic energy, <laughs> right? right? No, yes. like we're not, we're not talking at all about how psychically powerful these rocks are. <laughs> I'm just, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it, that's like, um, you know, it's like whenever, uh, I don't know, you see those TV shows like, you know, ancient aliens or whatever. And they're like, ah, but, well, you know, look, this. This ancient civilization that was building these things clearly had stone tools and, and metal chisels and things. But where did they get the metal chisels from? And it's like, well, I don't know, the ground? What are you talking about, dude? Like, what do you mean? Like, just the earth? Right, right. The earth around there? Well, yeah. 12 to 20% of the earth's we, crust is, is, has uh, quartz. I would venture to say 12 to 20% uh, of the earth has these hot spots. Checkmate, atheist. <laughs> oh, 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 my God. I just got, I just got called a stupid science bitch. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. I can't believe it finally happened. Oh, and by a friend, too. I'm so upset. Yeah. Oh, Boom. Mic drop. Boom That's roasted. It. That's so it. I was going to say, in, in this documentary, Dave, they do mention hearing the sound of machinery underneath their feet um, when the, uh, the Gormans were... Um, were there um they said that they heard that very regularly especially if they started digging so maybe maybe there is tunnels under there that we either don't know about or haven't been told about hmm. yeah you, you hear that you know you you that's that's big in a couple of different uh, areas of what we like to talk about you know it's it's big in the conspiracies uh reptilians the who know anunnaki is probably sitting up down there you know like who, who knows? But, um, yeah, that is, that's big, and that's even been blamed for, like, the Taos hum and these uh, auditory uh, things that people go through when there's... I mean, it, it, they tie it to sky trumpets sometimes with that, but it's, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's a hum, and they're like, there's machinery, and... Yeah, that, that happens uh, a lot of places as well. But I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past... Um, some something going going down and digging digging a bunch of underground crap uh even if it's a, 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 a what do you call it um an eccentric billionaire or something <laughs> digging digging up bunkers for himself that, that's a possibility that's a possibility the other thing that i that you when you touched on that i was like oh yeah is it i lost it i'm sorry guys lost that one it's gone <laughs> I haven't been drinking, but that felt like I've, I was just gone. Dan, I got one last question for Dave. I'm sorry. Dave, I, I, need, I need your help with this. Um, what do you think Jeff the Talking Mongoose might have to say about this phenomena? <laughs> probably. He's, he's probably sitting back um, having a beer, 
watching some birds and uh, <laughs> doesn't even care. Doesn't even care about if, if things want to call, <laughs> crawl out of portals and uh, go light up the night sky. Who's to say it's more mood lighting for me birds? Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> That's Thank actually you so a, much, that's, Dave. That's an impression for for uh, Dave, Dave Stecco's chef. Oh, I apologize. That's <laughs> all right. I, I I'm intimate enough with uh, Jeff the Talking Mongoose. I I know how he sounds. Okay, perfect, perfect. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool, guys. Well, I I love the narrative of Thin Spots, uh, where these worlds blend together. It reminds me a lot of like his Dark Materials, the Dark Tower. Um, just a bunch of other great stories. Um, but I have one question for David as we bridge <laughs> over to the uh, science part. What do you think it would take uh, for this idea, this story of Thin Spots, um, to be accepted as like a scientific fact or at least something that the public would widely accept? Well, that's, that is a very good question because... Um, as always, we don't know what we don't know. Um, probably some kind of uh, replicatable thing. If you can replicate uh, the phenomenon, um, I think, obviously, you, you kind of have to believe it at that point. So if if we had some kind of equipment that would open up some kind of portal, yeah, that, that would do it. Um, if you could... I'm trying to think of the the problem with what we have nowadays is that it's very hard to trust video and photo evidence because technology has gotten very good at uh, faking that kind of stuff. Um, so I, yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to really put a pin in what would actually uh, do it for you, and because at the same time, and this is you know getting into the crazy conspiracy funness of it uh, how do we know it's not just implanted memories or something or the the government or the the new world order is putting all this stuff in our brains thinking that we see a wolfman uh traipsing around strutting uh out there uh <laughs> and and then we have it, we it even go so far as to, to have psychosomatic wounds or something you know it, it when do you stop so <laughs> It's hard to right. answer right. what what would uh, empirically prove that, uh, I think. Uh, Chris might have a better idea for what? that uh, than I would, actually. Yeah. Let's throw it over to you, Chris. What do you think it would take? To prove that these things are happening? Like in what yeah, well, yeah, to, yeah, to prove that there's some kind of interdimensional thin spot, that there's some way to travel to wherever these things come from. So, I mean, what, so the problem with a question like that to start with, right, I suppose, um, mm-hmm. besides the fact that I don't appreciate your accusatory tone... Um, is, is that uh, oh and I snorted too this has been a great time this has been a good a good, uh, a good guest spot for me today Jesus um, the, the, the issue with um, a question like that is that it sort of it presupposes like a million other things right mm. so mm-hmm. you know yeah we you know the I guess the simple answer would be well we'd travel there right or we'd be able to transmit information back and forth there or um, you know, that's, that is probably the simplest answer 
that would make sense and is probably the way that we would try to do it in the first place is we would try to collect info from there and we would try to transmit information to there somehow um so for instance you know you might try shooting a um shooting a signal and then seeing if it pings back in some way and by a signal i mean like it could it could literally be like a light like a flashlight you know um, mm-hmm. and seeing if there's communication on the other side or seeing if you can get some information back from that. So, for instance, you know, you don't need something there to shine back or to answer back for there to be communication necessarily between two points um, or data transmission, I guess I should say. It could also be something like we send we send a um, an X-ray beam there and then see if the x-rays that come bouncing back towards us are altered in some way. So this would be similar to the way that we kind of do, like, you know, we don't really use x-rays for this. We use, we use radio waves, but something similar to how we do basically all analysis, like chemical analysis and astrophysical analysis, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the first way we do it. Chris, but the pr- yeah. I, I have a question on that, actually. Uh, is there anything, is there any test you can do that would... Um, do the same thing as you're saying, send something quote unquote there and then send it back. And would it be, would we be able to measure the distance that it's traveled or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. So we could, yeah, I mean, we could take, we could measure the time it takes for it to uh, come back. We could measure the energy that it lost in its travel. I Mm -hmm. mean, it would be in very small amount, but that's something we could do. We could measure, um, yeah, there there are things we could do for that, right? Yeah. The the problem would be if we're talking about something like this where we really don't, you know, I think people have this like people have this idea that something like this would be, you know, your um like the the analogy often given is of, you know, you have a piece of paper that represents kind of space-time and you draw a straight line from point A to point B and maybe that line is 10,000 light years away, right? It's 10,000 light years long. But if you folded the paper, and this is a hell of a piece of paper, by the way. Um, and if you, folded, <laughs> if you folded the piece of paper so that the two points connected, though, in a third dimension, if you weren't traveling along the length of the paper, but instead through the paper body, it wouldn't take 10,000 light years. Maybe that distance is a, you know, one light year or not even a light year. Maybe it's a couple of feet. Right. So that's the kind of argument that people make in this case. And so that's where things would start to get a little messy is could we even to start with understand something like that happening to us? You know, do we even have the physics and the measuring? I hesitate to say Yeah, I hesitate to say machinery. But yeah, like, do we even have the right paradigms in place for measuring things Mm. to have any sense of that? You know, um, the third, you know, the, and I always feel like I sound like uh, a Tim and Eric character when I'm talking about dimensions and things. <laughs> like, I, you know, it's but, free um, real estate. It's free real estate. You know? <laughs> space is like a cone, but you wouldn't want to put it in a cone. Don't put space in a cone. Or whatever it is, right? Um, I feel like I should have a black hoodie on and a lot of makeup. Um, the, the challenge, I guess, is that when we think of, like, dimensions and dimensions touching and whatever, we often think about it like, it would be, you know, oh, you step through a portal and you end up in another place that's, like, separate but still connected somehow, but physics works the same, geometry works the same, everything else. When in reality, it would be like, um, 
your like your brain is your brain is set up to understand three dimensions. If you were plucked out of the third dimension into like a fourth dimension or a fifth dimension or something, you'd it'd probably be like a complete horror show. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Like I don't. It'd be it'd be. I hesitate to say it'd be horrifying because we don't know, but it certainly wouldn't be something you'd be able to understand. Yeah, I mean, right, or something something you couldn't perceive at all. Maybe just black. Right, exactly. Right, your yeah. brain your brain might just shut down and be like, I don't know what's going on with this sensory information, so we're just going to show mm-hmm. you flashes of color or right. you know weird right. smells or whatever. Like we we just don't have the descriptive power even to consider it. You know, there's a really good book about this called Flatland, oh, yeah. which talks about a, a two dimensional person who's pulled out of the page into the third dimension and like suddenly things that never should make sense in their world are, you know, they're able to do right. Like if you draw a box around a person on a piece of paper, there's no way for them to get outside of that box. Right. But if you pull Mm -hmm. them out of the, out into the plane of the paper into the third dimension and then put them back onto that paper, suddenly they're outside of the box and they have no explanation for it. Right. They just (laughs) kind of snapped into and out Mm -hmm. of reality. Um, Right. That's probably closer to at least what we would conceptualize it as. But but honestly, who the hell knows? Right. Well, and that's uh, one of the reasons I asked the question is because uh, to a physicist, uh, the idea of, you know, extra dimensions and a lot of these things that people go through, it just it just doesn't really matter that much because how can you describe it? Um, we're interested in describing this physical world that we can see and measure and observe. So, it, you know, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. So let's move, yeah, let's move on to something that is, uh, probably the most well-documented phenomenon of the Uinta basin, uh, the UFO sightings, which include physical craft and lights in the sky. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the difficulties that people have when they try and identify these kinds of things? Well, so the first problem, I guess, is if you look at any of the public-facing um, UFO reporting sites, you know, and there's not, I mean, there's not, it's not like these places like MUFON give you access to all of the data that they have, but, like, if you go on a UFO tracker, um, you can look at all the cases that come into MUFON as they come in, and the first thing you'll notice is that, like, 99% of those cases are are either completely identifiable or give you so little information that you cannot do anything with them. You know what I mean? Like, somebody will write in and say, I saw a light, and here's a picture of the light, and that's it. And it's like, cool, that's right. That's enough info for me, <laughs> me to make a paradigm-shifting <laughs> announcement on. You know, thank you for your contributions, um, sir or madam. Um, on the other hand, there are some cases where it is a trained observer or somebody who is of, you know, sound mind and sound body and capable of kind of reporting on what they see in these cases and, and really understanding it, um, that it makes it a little bit harder to kind of you know, pull apart and say, well, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Now, the problem, though, is that I don't know if people would necessarily consider um, the same people to be grounded observers. That's problem one. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you've ever tried to kind of test your own memory, I guess. But even, you know, myself, you know, I would, um, I would argue that I'm, you know, probably not a good observer frankly for an event like that because 
I tend to uh, misremember things sometimes. I tend to – I have a very vivid imagination, so I tend to um, – over time, my memories kind of can shift and change. And you notice those things um, when you really start looking at your own kind of cognitive um, – what's the word, I guess, like your own cognitive um, sensory apparatuses and your own kind of way of thinking about things. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, it's really easy, though, and, and not, you know, most people don't realize that they do this, but your brain is constantly filling in gaps and making things up and, you know, kind of like glossing over things to make things simpler, you know? Um, I have a friend who does this with his family all the time, actually, which is, I think terrifying because I would be terrified that someone would catch me in a lie like this, but they do it all the time. And it's kind of funny. They'll just, they'll just agree to anything that their family presupposes about their life. <laughs> so they'll be like, Oh, did you have a good time at the store? And they'll be like, yeah, I had a great time. They didn't go to the store that week. You know what I mean? But it's just easier than trying to explain like, well, no, I didn't go to the store. Why do you think I went to the store? Right? Like it just, it just smooths over conversation, I guess. Um, and it's not great for, like, a reality-based view of the world, but I guess it works for them in talking to their, you know, I don't know, adult relatives. Or, <laughs> I have no or idea. it plays into their delusions. Like, <laughs> Well, yeah, I don't know, right? Like, I don't, I don't, listen, we're, I'm not here to judge. All I'm saying, all I'm saying is that uh, on, on one hand, you have kind of a, you have reality, and then you have the way that you perceive reality. And they're not, they're not the same. They're never the same. They can't be the same. Um, and philosophers have kind of fought over this fact forever with some like Descartes just kind of throwing up his hands and saying, you know, well, I can't know anything. All I know is that my brain exists someplace yeah. and I'm thinking someplace. And then other philosophers thinking um, or I guess saying, you know, well, that's crap. You, of course, can know things about the world. Um, and some of them, you know, dying. um, loveless weirdos like Immanuel Kant. So okay. Right. either way, you get extremes. Okay. All right. Um, hey, I am. I think we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and Dan's got a few more questions for you, Chris. Bear with us for just a moment. Are you easily offended? Because if you are, you should probably stop listening. Are you interested in the bizarre and unusual? Are you fascinated by the grisly sides of life? Are you the one that people call weirdo? Well then, you should get hip to Strange Brew Podcast, a podcast with a bunch of crazy Canucks. Tune in every week with Strange Brew's host, Tomcat, a.k.a. Tom Thompson. And Billy Kirby, along with many different guests. As we drink booze and we discuss anything strange and paranormal, from serial killers to aliens and all of the above. So crack those beers and toss on those tinfoil hats because, because it's, it's about, about to get strange. Hello, Beyonders! This is Dan, dropping in like an interdimensional Bigfoot to tell you all about our comment contest. That's right, if you've been listening to our Hunt for the Skinwalker series, you know that Lee and I have two very different ideas about what could be happening at Skinwalker Ranch. Please go vote in our Facebook poll and leave a comment, and one lucky Beyonder will win a fourth-hand media swag bag. T-shirts, stickers, coffee cups, we got it all. 
and bonus points if you post a screenshot of your review of Beyond Terrestrial, you will be given an extra entry for every star you give us in a rating. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll be back with more Beyond Terrestrial. Welcome back, Beyonders. All right, Chris. So we've already talked about um, how hard it is to identify a UFO, especially if it's just like a light in the sky. Um, Now, some of these observers describe very erratic motion. They see a light and then pow, it shoots off. Um, What could explain some of the motion that they see? Um, Is this unmanned craft? Is it some kind of optical illusion? Uh, or some kind of observer bias. So it could, the problem with trying to make these kind of blanket statements for any of these things is that it it could be any of those. It could be none of those. It Mm. really all depends on this being kind of a singular, like I would argue that the kind of, I would argue that both the skeptical case and the believer case for UFOs has kind of moved away from the individual cases paradigm. So what I mean is it's really easy to point out that individual cases don't make a lot of sense or that there's something weird about, you know, oh, well, this person might have just been hallucinating or they might have just been mistaken or whatever. But it's really hard to make that same claim when there are a thousand cases with the same in the same location with the same reported, um, you know, uh, features, I guess, and the same kind of, you know, the same sort of uh, feel to them, the same kind of tropes and things, right? Uh Now, you can still make an argument against that, obviously. You can say, well, that's cultural memory, or that is um, something like, you know, um, it's just, it's tropes, right? I mean, why do people use Uh cliches? Um, Why do people... You know, they, they have those memes that come out that are like, you know, oh, how many other people do this? And then it's like, oh, my God, I do that. And then you like it. Right. Um, <laughs> that works because um, that works because people are we're, we're we are machines that operate in very kind of simple ways in some cases, just for, despite all of our kind of complexities and amazing features and everything else. So that being said, um, you know, one example of this or one interesting example of this that people don't really realize is sort of the effect that distance has. And what I mean by that is how far away you are from the initial object being viewed. So I don't know if you've ever seen those optical illusions where it's like, there was one actually I saw yesterday on, on Reddit um, because I am a, you know, I, cause I spend my time well during the day, <laughs> um, but it was, it was a, um, it was a garbage pail, and then underneath the garbage pail was a um, was a thing of, like, water. It was a wet spot, so it was darker on the concrete that the pail was sitting on. But when you first looked at it, it looked like the pail was floating. And the reason that was happening was that your brain was kind of filling in a gap and figuring that this must be the shadow of this object, 
And so since I've seen a million other times when something floats, that's the way that the pattern looks. That's what your brain assumed was happening, but that's not really what was happening. That kind of thing, again, happens all the time. So, you know, one of my favorite cases is the Betty and Barney Hill UFO case. That's like one of my favorites. It's, it was the scariest to me growing up. Um, I lived in that area for a long time, so it was terrifying to me. Um, as an adult, that's when I lived there, not when I was a kid, when I was old enough to have known better, probably. <laughs> but, um, like, driving through anyone that's driven through mountains at night and then suddenly sees the moon come up over the mountain will notice that at times the moon appears to be a lot bigger than it actually is or a lot smaller than it actually is. Um, and that's all just due to the distance of you and something in the middle between you and the moon. So you misjudge distance uh, for something as ginormous and every day as the moon all of the time. So in cases like this, where you're seeing something that you're probably scared about or excited about or whatever, um, and you're not sure what you're seeing, and then it, it seems to be moving weirdly and whatever, you know, if you can get the moon wrong, what else can you get wrong? Right. And especially because you have no real frame of reference because it's up in the sky. Right. Most of the time, these videos, especially in the Utah Basin, let's say, a lot of the times those are, um, a lot of the times these are, you know, they're just, it's, it's a dot of light against a black sky or a blue sky. And so, again, yeah, how can you judge the distance there accurately? You can't. Um, right. That being said, though, that being said, though, you know, there is something, I think, to be said for the idea that these people have lived there for long enough. It's not like, you know, me, I grew up in I grew up in New York City. So the first time I was like, you know, 200 miles away from New York and I first saw like the nighttime sky, like what actual stars looked like, um, you know, it was like, holy crap, I can't believe that, you know, I can't believe light pollution is that bad. Um, oh, yeah. These are people. These are people that are used to the night sky. And in some cases, they're used to seeing aircraft and used to seeing things up there. So, you know, I don't know. It's it's hard to gauge. But I do think that, you know, when it comes to individual cases, it's too easy to pick them apart. It's just it's it's not hard at all. Right. Well, um, and that kind of leads a little bit to my next question. Uh, we know the military has uh, looked at like uh, counter illumination and all kinds of different ways to obscure what an observer might see. Um, lots of research today in active camouflage, which, um, I don't know, kind of works if you're sitting in a room with a projector. Um, but there's OLED technology now, uh, curvable screens, all kinds of things like that. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about how these new technologies could uh, misdirect an observer? Sure. I mean, you know, we're... Um... We're currently looking at, I mean, you know, forget forget just projections, right? Like projecting onto a screen, although those are interesting. And, you know, if you think about the kind of computing power we have, um, and also if you just think about what, you know, camouflage doesn't have to be really accurate for it to be effective. Mm -hmm. Just think about, you know, a guy like in a ghillie suit. Um, you know, if you just see a guy, and not a ghillie suit necessarily, because that's like the whole you know Momo outfit with the with the the grass <laughs> on the head and whatever, but you know, um, but just think about like camouflage, right? Like like camouflage you wear, um, you know, you buy at Walmart or you buy at Target or wherever. Um, that camouflage is actually effective out in the field if you're in a forest, 
and it's you know that pattern of colors like that you never see in nature that that's not what anything looks like yet it is very effective at camouflaging because your brain fills in patterns again right so if it just looks close enough you're you're fine so you can think if all you have to do is appear to be um dark right like darker than the ground or if all you have to do is appear to be stars in a sky or part of a cloud or whatever that's not all that hard you know um and especially if you're able to do it in a way that's silent or or relatively quiet most people probably would never even think to look up to see that there was something there so um you know the brain is again really good at filling in those patterns so it's not hard to think that stuff like that could happen but also if you look at like vanta so vanta black i can't remember if it's vanta or vanta do you guys know what that is i think it's vanta i've always said vanta okay yeah so vertically so yeah vertically aligned nanotubes right Uh, nanotube arrays um they are like the darkest the darkest uh surface in nature that we can create so far um just spraying something like that, like a very, very dark pigment or something that can, you know, obfuscate light in a way that, that not a lot of light transfers back to your eye. That can also just be very effective for nighttime camouflage because, again, all you have to do is get close enough that the brain fills in the gaps. Um, you know, so visually, I don't think it's all that hard. The hardest part, I think, would be the in terms of the silence or the the noise, right? All those other senses would be hard to trick, but mm-hmm. even those, not that hard. Right. Well, let's go ahead and talk about that since you brought it up. Um, if you had an aircraft like a jet engine, I uh, I just moved from Southern Idaho. They were talking about bringing the F thirty five to Boise, and everyone was all against it around there because of the noise. Um, but these craft aren't necessarily powered by jet engines. They could be drones. They could be helicopters. Um, what kind of technology would we use to uh, silence an aircraft? I mean, you know, the noise, most of the noise you hear from jet engines or these kind of planes like this is from the sonic boom itself, right? The sonic boom and then the propagation uh-huh. of that sonic boom. So if you can disrupt the sonic boom from forming or or maybe not forming necessarily, if you can disrupt that wave from propagating in some way, then in theory you could create a very um, a relatively noiseless aircraft. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if you're flying very far away, you're not going to hear it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just not going right. to transmit to the ground. Um, so in some cases, like it may not matter if you're just high enough up off the ground. Then you know who cares? Just don't don't fly um don't reach those speeds near someone else or don't um you know i don't know there's there's ways to kind of mitigate that but you know i i can say that there are a lot of um a lot of research goes into this idea of making those systems more quiet and more available for say commercial use not just for you know not just for um military applications but like you know normal companies are on this as well um, you know, no one wants to live near an airport because they're noisy. Um, you know, so if we can if we can lessen the noise of something like that um, for aircraft, even then that's a big a big deal. But like you said, it doesn't even have to be an aircraft. It could be a drone. It could be um, 
you know, something else that is not powered in a way where, you know, like the sonic boom in theory would happen regardless if depending on the shape of the craft and the way that the noise propagates and whatever. Um, so it's more about designing the kind of uh, designing the ship itself or the craft itself to be able to lessen those waves from propagating um, to stop sonic waves from occurring. Really cool. And, uh, you know, a craft design like that would be outside of people's uh, frame of reference. They've seen regular airplanes, but something with a new design, new technology could probably easily be mistaken for alien craft. Maybe. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm actually, it's funny. I just, I just Googled it cause I just was, now I'm kind of interested in seeing more what's out there. So this here is a paper from, um, well, maybe that's not such a good paper, but this is from NASA, right? So new supersonic technology designed to reduce sonic booms. So, uh, this was from 2017, right? So, I mean, and they've been working on this for some time. Um, we've, we've known of them working on this for some time. Um, but basically what they're working on here is a uh, a ship that a ship that again mitigates those waves from kind of propagating off the wingtip or off the body of the plane I should say not really the wingtip necessarily but off the body of the plane. And yeah, they're much uh, they're not what you would expect a, a normal aircraft to look like. You know, I mean they're close, they're kind of like a normal aircraft, but this one I'm looking at now looks very long and thin and kind of weird, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah, really cool. Um, so I guess really now the only thing to talk about at Skinwalker is some of that really weird stuff. Um, underground noises, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, it, could it be possible for a bunch of people to work underground at this facility um, and not be noticed? I mean, it seems a little far-fetched to me. I mean, I guess, but, like, so the problem with all of this is that, you know, to have a to have a, a population of workers doing work like that, that is taxing on the environment, it would require a tremendous amount of goods and services that the area around Skinwalker Ranch is just simply not prepared to provide you know i mean it's kind of like you know imagine if i mean i don't know if a walmart opened up in the town that skinwalker ranch is in it would be a huge deal it would completely change the economy and the way people's lives operated you know so to think that like unless these are government workers who have i don't know signed on a fat for a fat check and a bonus or something to live underground and never make a peep and never you know, come out and go to the town and get pizza or whatever. Like, you know, it, it would take a, um, the amount of, the amount of work it would take to do that, as opposed to the government just saying, Hey, guess what? We're taking this land for a public works project and, or, you know, selling it to Lockheed Martin or we're selling it to, you know, um, we're selling it to some senators drilling company and then using it for secret. Like there's, you know, why would they keep it a ranch? That doesn't make any <laughs> damn sense. Like, you know, the government, the government has such more, like people are so limited in what they think of evil and what evil can do. Um, and I, and frankly, I would consider, um, something like this, you know, 
the weird study of human subjects or whatever the hell is going on at this ranch. If any of those things are true, it is, it is evil. You know what I mean? It's not a good thing for the government to be doing. Um, but people are so like, I don't know. Sometimes it's cute how megalomaniacal, you know, megalomaniacal people think evil has to be for it to be evil. You know what I mean? Like evil is evil is usually stupid and very simple and it's pretty in your face, you know? (laughs) Um, um, I've, I have a great line that I learned. Um, it was something like never attribute, uh, especially government actions, uh, to malice if they can explain, be explained by incompetence. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Right. And that's, that's like the, that's the history of the UFO field is people are like, well, why did they find anything? It must be because there's a secret, and it's like, no, they didn't find anything because they're morons, <laughs> right? Like they didn't, they didn't find anything because it's you know, a group of of uh, a group of people of retirees spending their government checks on beer and you know wrestling magazines while they hang out in the desert, all chilling with each other. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing. Um, I don't know. Like we. The same people who think that the government is, like, not capable of running anything also tend to be, at least in my, you know, kind of opinion, I guess, or my experience in the conspiracy and, you know, weird world of anti-science or whatever, also tend to, the pe- tend to be the people that think that the government can run massive secret conspiracies with lizard people. Right. Right. Like, if the government can't run, if the government can't run a post office, the government cannot you know, run a secret base on the moon. First of all, Chris, um, that's, that's my hot take. First of all, Chris, we all know that they don't run a secret base on the moon. They run a secret base under Dulce, um, which actually has a train connecting it to Skinwalker ranch and several other spots around the U S. Oh my God. Right. I'm, Right, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's the Nazis okay. have the moon, right? Is that the what Nazis yeah, have okay. the moon? That's, yeah, that's Hitler's exactly on the moon it. with the gray. And they've got an escalator to the hollow oh. earth. <laughs> yes, there we go. That's the way it goes. Okay, all right. Only two more questions, and we'll wrap it up. Uh, and I want to bring David back on this one um, because I was wondering if any of this particular phenomena exists out at uh, Ansa Borrego. Cattle mutilations. Why? How, what the heck, uh, David, is there any, has there been any reports of that going on out, uh, where you're researching? Well, you know, there, there hasn't cause it's not really good cattle land out there. Um, oh, it's, it's the desert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not, not the best. You're not getting a lot of meat off those, those girls. It's just, just, just cows sinking into the clay. Just, oh, my God. I can't. Oh, another alien got my cattle. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. The clay monsters have come back. That's right, yeah. Somebody called Batman. Cattle bones everywhere. Um, well, maybe, uh, maybe like a jackrabbit mutilation. Well, you I know, uh, Borrego actually translates to sheep uh, from Spanish, so... There are some, um, I think, wild sheep or have been in that area. Uh, I don't. I don't think I've heard any stories of them being effed up at all. Um, mainly, it's just people seeing weird stuff. Now, some people will say the the rocks, the boulders, things like that, come alive some nights and go shambling across the desert ridges and stuff. But uh, as far as mutilations, oh. I haven't haven't gotten uh, that one unturned. Uh, stone yet 
The settlers used to ride these babies for miles. <laughs> <laughs> just, oh, my God. Every day SpongeBob becomes more and more like real life. Good God. Good God. Oh. Um, so, so yeah, Chris, I mean, lots of reports of cattle mutilations out at Skinwalker. It's one of the really common stories of uh, UFO phenomenon. And I was just wondering, like, they always say in these necropsies, like, oh, it must have been cut. But I've seen coyotes do some pretty precise cutting. I don't know. What do you think? Well, so, yeah, I mean, the, the problem with the cattle mutilation is, okay, the Skinwalker story is itself a a complete um i hesitate to say that it's a complete fabrication because it's kind of co-opted yeah because it because like Mm -hmm. there is there there appear to be and again even this is like not really all that well documented or known there appears to be something of a kind of like like a boogeyman creature in native you know first nations people's cultures that would be akin to what we call the skinwalker, right? Mm-hmm. Like in today's parlance or whatever. Sure. Um, that being said, it's not like the ranch itself. The story of the ranch starts with um, Robert Bigelow, George Knapp, and Linda Moulton Howe. They're kind of the people that really begin, and and they're, that they're like the they're almost in a weird way like a cornerstone of modern UFO mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, and Linda Moulton Howe is the person who famously investigated and did documentaries on cattle mutilation. Now, it turns out that a guy named Rick Doty, um, who claims to have been paid by the government to trick Linda Moulton Howe um, into thinking cattle mutilations were a thing, um, exists. That guy's out there. Right? So we either have to believe that she's been tricked, which, you know, who knows? Or we have to believe that aliens are coming down here and stealing our cows' organs, (laughs) as opposed to just taking, like, you know, one of them and then cloning that cow forever. Or how about, you know, traveling interstellar, um, you know, distances, but then they can't fabricate a kidney or tongue? What are they they eating? Yeah, it's a truly. Yeah, it's a it's a truly insane story, you know. Well, there's there's nothing like a fresh cut steak. Yeah, <laughs> gotten down yeah, these, here like oh my god, I've never these replicator steaks. Oh my god, if I have to eat another one. <laughs> terrible, oh, terrible. Oh. Nothing like ra- nothing like grass fed oh. or dirt fed, I guess. Sand oh. fed. The land isn't great. Um, sand fed. Um, so 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 that's the problem with this, right? The story is in itself like mired in all of this controversy and un- uncertainty and everything else. And then the team that made it famous is or the thing that made it famous was um, Robert Bigelow had this team NIDS that was doing this secret work on a ranch someplace and word started leaking because it's the UFO world and no one can keep their mouth shut about anything. Um, And so eventually then Colm Kelleher and George Knapp published this book, Hunt for the Skinwalker, um, and they're both like on the NIDS team. So all the information we have, like, there has been no independent verification or independent study of Skinwalker Ranch at all. You know what I mean? This is one team coming out and saying that something interesting is happening on this ranch. That's it. That's it. And then now a new guy who purchased the ranch from Bigelow when Bigelow was done with it because there was nothing there um, and 
uh, has since like tried to turn it into a spooky media empire kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, like spooky tourism or whatever. So, um, you know, everything we it's you know it's everything we have about this area is is PR, is media, is is marketing. Um, you know, all the stuff previously to that, like the Uinta UFO flap and all those other things, those kind of exist in my mind in like a previous era of um, untainted media or untainted basin news. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I actually do think that this Borrego, the Borrego Triangle stuff is so exciting again, because, you know, it's, it's untainted. Um, <laughs> It's untainted, yeah. Frankly, I can't like wait it's, to it's get untainted. In there and so, it all. yeah, wow. <laughs> I cannot wait. You know, at least it's at least it's our side doing the tainting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Um, it's our side mucking stuff up. Oh uh, yes, but nice. but it really though, it, like Skinwalker Ranch is the UFO world's version of the Oak Island Money Pit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's so many. Every time someone tries to go and do something there, they mess it up further. They make it more confusing. And it'll, ne- you know, at this point now, the truth doesn't, like, the truth doesn't even matter, in my mind, because um, no one cares. Let's put it this way. If Bigelow Aerospace had found something interesting on Skinwalker Ranch, they would have done something with it. They right. did something worthwhile, yeah. They did um, And that was really one of the things that led me to... Uh, kind of my conclusions about how this is some kind of misinformation operation. Um, and one thing that you see is, you know, you have Bigelow Aerospace, you have A-Tip, you have a guy like Tom DeLong who's meeting with people from Lockheed's Skunk Works. Um, we only have a few minutes, but can we get a hot take, Chris? Uh, what's going on between the aerospace industry and these UFO types? So, I mean, a lot of the the aerospace industry is made up of people who are interested in this stuff. It always has been. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's really nothing else to it. I mean... Um, guys who watched Star Trek and wanted to be out there. Exactly. Exactly. You know, stuff... Guys, guys frankly, like us all, right? True, um, sure. People who grew up watching this stuff and were like, hell yeah, like, I would love if aliens were real. Yeah. You know, Give me one of them replicated cool. steaks. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. get me a replicated steak. Awesome. <laughs> You know, um, so the fact that they're interested in this isn't really that far out. And on top of that, too, the military has a really the U.S. military in particular has a really long history of funding crazy stuff, frankly, and mm-hmm. seeing if it works. And a lot of the time it doesn't. And that's why a big part of this for me, like every time I do an, any kind of show or take on these things, for me, the story of. ATIP, the story of Skinwalker Ranch, the story of all of this, like I said before, is a story of government corruption and government being conned. You know what I mean? It's it's a it's the one of the most successful um successful is the wrong word, because it really hasn't been successful. But it's one of the most I think it's the one of the most interesting parts or aspects of modern science are kind of these characters who exist on the fringes of science mm-hmm. who are like kind of respectable, but kind of conning and kind of, you know, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird position. Some of these people are in and the ATIP stuff and bass and, 
you know, um, OSAP and these programs that, that were funded by the government to do these studies, they kind of exist in a weird gray area. Because on the one hand, you had people doing research into things like um, active camouflage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you had people doing work in active camouflage, and it appears, at least, we don't know, but it appears that they at least got a small part of the funding to do theoretical physics papers on that kind of work. On the other hand, though, you had people writing papers on, like, Stargates and, you know, uh, stuff that would never pass peer review in a serious scientific journal. Mm-hmm. So it's weird. It's very strange. Um, and, and, fr- and frankly, the team, the team that helped work on Skinwalker for the government or as part of the NIDS team was made up of people who were part of the government's famous men who stare at goats experiments. Um, and remote viewing experiments and Scientology experiments in the 60s. So, you know, this it's it's not exactly like these are, you know, why, like, Steve Justice would get involved in this is anybody's guess. But I think, frankly, that he was probably involved in NIDS when it occurred um, and has just kind of stayed on, right? He, I mean, Bigelow is a fascinating character, I think, and somebody who is self-made and has done a lot of legitimately cool stuff. So I could totally see working for a guy like Bigelow. Um, what I can't see is a guy like Bigelow, or what I can't understand is a guy like Bigelow allowing so much untapped or just wasted money to occur, like wasted resources. Like why keep funding something over and over again? That right. doesn't without, without tangible results. Mm-hmm. And without anything. Yeah, without yeah. any kind of tangible results. Mm-hmm. Even if he was just getting out of it like, you know, he, ne- he never looked for, like, press on this stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, that's why people think that there's probably some kind of personal reason that he wants to find this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe there is. Maybe he's just, you know, a cool billionaire who decided to spend his money in a way that, you know, helped launch a million podcasts. Um, <laughs> right. I don't know. Thank you, Mr. Very Bigelow. Awesome. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's uh, take a quick break to pay the bills, and then we'll wrap everything up and uh, say bye-bye. Hello, this is Michael from Pennyhaven. What is Pennyhaven, you ask? Well, Pennyhaven is my YouTube channel. On this channel, I share with the viewer some awesome coins from my collection and the new ones I pick up every week. I also have a bunch of informative videos that show you what to look for in your own pocket so you can realize the worth above face value in circulated money. I'll teach you how you can get silver coins for free or at face value. I'll even tell you how you can get a free piece of gold in the mail. Absolutely free and beautiful. So come on over, subscribe, watch my playlist of informational videos or anything that catches your eye. Send me an email to find out how to get some free gold and start getting the most out of your money. So please, go to youtube.com and search for Penny Haven. That's P-E-N-N-Y-H-A-V-E-N on YouTube. All right, and we're back. 
Uh, we have been here with David Flora and Chris Cogswell. We've been talking Skinwalker Ranch, all kinds of cool stuff. Um, this has been a great little debate, I think. Uh, David, I know you're getting ready to head out. Uh, can you wrap us up with any of your final hot takes, if you got any, and uh, let our listeners know where they can find you? Uh, sure. Well, thanks again for having me. Uh, it's been fun uh, talking about this weird, wild stuff. And uh, I don't like Skinwalker Ranch is still one of those um, weird areas that I have kind of osmosed my knowledge uh, from because I haven't looked into it specifically, but it gets talked about so much that, you know, you, you kind of feel like, you know, uh, quite a bit about it just from hearing stuff. And I think, I think Chris made a, one of the best points um, in his last segment about how the world had never really heard about this place until this, you know, little team of investigators got in there and then started promoting it. So I think there is something to be said uh, about that, and you have to be careful with uh, intentions and uh, what people are, what what they're trying to do with this information um, for their own ends and means. So those are my uh, kind of final thoughts on it. And uh, for blurry photos, if you guys want to hear more uh, deep dives into this these topics and this type of stuff, please visit my website, blurryphotos.org. I'm on all the major uh, podcasting platforms, and um, just, just go in there, dive in. If you go, if you go too far back, been doing the show for eight years now. If you go too far back, you're going to run into another voice on there, which was a, a co-host I used to have. But for the past couple of years, I've been flying solo, and um, yeah, it's it's a fun time. And um, Lee drove all the way uh, from Tennessee to to see a live show of it. So if you if you need any if you need any better um, proof that it's a, a worthwhile show, I don't think you can find it. <laughs> I absolutely love your show, even though you just switched teams on me right there and said the job. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do. I, I really I, do I, love your show. So. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to betray the old. Uh, uh, scientific and skeptical background. <laughs> I know, I know. There's a there's a re- there's a reason we're all friends. That's yes. right. Let's say that's what that was. And they, yeah, you weren't you weren't exactly given the easiest hand to argue from. So I, we, you know, we understand. We understand. Fair enough. Well, uh, we know we know David definitely has Lee's endorsement. Uh, Chris, uh, we've gone off pretty well on on our side. I think I think we're I think we're winners, but that's just me. Um, I'm biased. Um, but um, can Listen, you tell I come away. I, I come away from every argument I'm in thinking I won, so it's totally fine. It's a it's defense completely, mechanism. Completely irrelevant to me whether or not the facts speak that way. It's just an, it's a defense mechanism. Yeah. Really cool. Um, well, can you tell the people um, any any last takes that you have and where they can find you? Yeah, I mean, you know, this the history of this stuff, the history of Skinwalker Ranch is a lot deeper than we've been able to get into here. And frankly, it's a lot deeper than I think any one podcast can cover. You know, um, it's it, it it's just a crazy story. And it's that's why we jumped on it so we could get a little bit of your thunder. <laughs> well, you know, but no, but like seriously though, it's it's um it's a story I think that I, I personally have never gotten tired of hearing other people's takes on it because there's so much out there and stuff keeps coming out. You know, yesterday, 
new documents were released talking about the, the way that the funding flowed down from Bass, uh, Bigelow Aerospace, potentially down to UFO groups. So, uh, you know, people are now asking, like, well, was the government actually funding a UFO research group? That's crazy, you know? Um, that, you know, this is a... For me, the most interesting thing about all this isn't whether or not UFOs are real or whether or not these sightings are real or if any of these stories are true or not, right? Like I said, um, reality is confusing and we don't, we, we, we can't, it's hard enough to figure out, you know, truth on simple things, let alone things like this that are um, cosmic in their proportions. So for me, the most interesting thing or the most useful thing we can do is just kind of study the mythology itself in the folklore. So, and that's what we do in our show. So my show is called The Mad Scientist Podcast. I host it with my co-host, Marie Mayhew. Um, we release every week, um, or we try to release every week, what with uh, the world ending. And, um, and yeah, you can find us everywhere. Just search The Mad Scientist Podcast. Our logo is the one with the jack-o'-lantern heads. Um, so it's easy to find. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Well, thank you, gentlemen, very much. Lee, give us an outro. There you have it, guys. That's it for our little uh, mini debate between interdimensional uh, experiences and government experimentation. Please, guys, come back. Listen to us again somewhere out there beyond terrestrial. Thank you for listening to Beyond Terrestrial Podcast. You can check us out on Apple Pod, Google Play, and other major podcast platforms. And if you want to keep up with the show goings on, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Beyond T Pod. That's Beyond the Letter T Pod. And as always, you can get all of that information as well as show notes and episodes as they come out on BeyondTerrestrial.com. That's right, we got the .com. And if you want to help out the show, Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or a like and a review wherever you listen to Beyond Terrestrial. You've been listening to a fourth hand joint. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.